What's going on, Society members? Welcome to the Underground Society podcast, a show that helps you achieve your goals in the EDM industry. I'm your host, Justin McGarry, and I invite you to join me as I discover the challenges that the professional industry had to overcome in order to start building their careers and finding success. <sighs> Overthinking. I don't know about you, but overthinking has been one of the toughest things that I personally have had to deal with in my own creative endeavors, and I'm not even a producer. In any creative field or entrepreneurial journey, you're going to face times when you aren't sure if your work is good enough. You're going to wonder how well it'll do with streams, downloads, sales, etc. But the problem with overthinking is it can really stump your creativity in a massive way. So it is important to know how to work through these times so you don't get stuck and then give up on something that can completely alter the course of your career. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Because we are human and overthinking is a natural human response. However, it is possible. Today, our guest, Zookeeper, who is a house music producer from New Jersey, is here to share how he has battled his own overthinking throughout his time as a musician and how it has led him to landing some pretty massive festival slots with Global Dance, Audiotistic, and Countdown. So I hope you're ready to dive in. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by AirVDM. AirVDM is a premier electronic dance music brand, a print digital magazine, lifestyle-inspired subscription box, and full production event company. AirVDM has been forging the future of EDM for over five years now and produces only the finest content, events, and apparel for EDM fans worldwide. Curated for ravers by ravers. Visit AirVDM.com, that is E-R-A-O-F-E-D-M.com, to join the movement and see how you can get involved. Now enjoy the episode. Uh, I didn't realize how much uh, comedy was built into your brand until... I did my research for this. And then also the fact that I saw your t-shirt game was even stronger than your Instagram game. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dude. I think my Instagram is just so stupid. I just, I don't know why I just can't, like, I can't, it just feels wrong to use it in a serious manner for some reason. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, where did the whole idea of Zookeeper come from? Because I think even just your name by itself kind of fits your branding of what you post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically. Um, Basically, I, I just started doing like remixes for fun, uh, like years ago. And <clears throat> this was like sort of like during like the hype machine era. And mm. I just basically like I had this list on my computer of like, for whatever reason, like anytime like one of my friends would think of like a funny DJ name or a band name or something, we would like write it down. And I remember like I did this, this one remix for the Ready Set, who's like a pop punk act. Uh, and I remember saying to my manager at the time, I was like, yo, wouldn't it be funny if like one of these remixes did well on Hype Machine and like, I should just release a different remix under a different, one of these dumb names. Like I had like no intention of like making this like my job. Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh, like maybe I should like just release each one under like a stupid name. And then if one of them catches on, I'll just see like how far I can ride it. And this was like when like all the Dutch and Swedish DJs were like really becoming big in America. Mm. And I remember thinking like, this is like, I'm such an idiot. Like it's so stupid. <laughs> but like, I remember thinking it would be funny for there to be like an American DJ, but his name looks like someone foreign misspelling right. an American word. Which is why so you have like, that. What is that little... like? What was that little thing called that you have over the Yeah, the, the umlaut and yep. like, yeah, it doesn't, it's so grammatically incorrect. Yeah. Like, it's so stupid. And like now, of course, like nobody can, like I just, it was a complete self-own because nobody could like spell. Like we have to tell people so often, like just copy and paste it from the email. Yeah. And put it on the flyer or whatever, because nobody knows how to type it. It's so dumb, but, uh, but it is sort of perfect, I guess. Yeah, it's awesome. 
Um, I kind of the branding behind it. Can you can you just give me like a breakdown? Like if if you were talking to someone for the first time um, and they just found out about your music, what would you tell them your brand was about? Like the brand, uh, aside from like what my music sounds like. Yes. Uh, like what is your project like the like the theme of your project kind of? I I just like I grew up like listening to like Blink One Eighty Two okay. and and like my favorite thing ever is like the Mark Tom and Travis show like their live album. Oh yeah, yep. And half of it is like is like basically like stand up. Yeah, <laughs> like they're just not even playing music half the time. They're just like making stupid like dick jokes and stuff like that. And like I had been in a band, like a touring band before. And it was fun, but like we took it so seriously. Yeah. And I was just like, I think like if I if I do this a second time around, it has to just be like what my personality is like. And I have my humor is like like I'm like a twelve year old. Like I'm like a kid yep. in like sixth grade. Like that's like what like I and it's getting worse actually as I get older. I'm becoming <laughs> less mature, like with my humor. So I think that's what I mean, I have like sperm in my logo. It's just yep. so stupid. Yeah. But uh yeah, so I, I don't know. I guess that would be that That's would funny. be the answer. Yeah, I see a lot of going back to the whole Instagram thing. I, I see a lot of your uh, your brown dildo that you use a lot. <laughs> the brown dildo made a couple of that almost got me kicked off of TikTok. Which what, is why really? I TikTok for a long. Yeah, it was my first TikTok that I put up, and it got banned, and then I couldn't post for a while. What the heck? It was really stupid. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've incorporated it into your brand. I was going to ask you. Um, I see that you you talk a lot about it, and um is your, your passion for golf. How long have you been playing golf? Um, so well, I played, I like my grandpa and my dad played a lot okay. of golf when I was a kid. So I would like, go and just tag along. And then I didn't play for like a decade. Um, but when COVID started, nothing else. And we were do. all locked down. Like yeah. me and my roommate were like, dude, should we just like, he played golf when he was a kid too. And we were like, should we just like get golf clubs? And it ended up becoming like the highlight of my week during lockdown. Cause it was like one of the only things you could really yeah. go do. So and, you know, golf's like, when you're a kid, it's fun. When you're an adult, you're like, oh, I get it. Like, it takes like six hours. You're having drinks. You're driving the cart around like a complete lunatic. Right. <laughs> Resting dumb as hell. I went on eBay and I bought like all these super corporate, uh, like corporate branded polos and stuff. Like everything in golf is how like gross like the sponsorships are. Yep. <laughs> like every, everyone's like playing golf in like Goldman Sachs hats and stuff. So I was like, I bought like Bo like Boeing and Raytheon like like uh, polos and stuff, and That's I don't funny. Know, we just dressed like complete assholes. That's super funny. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you just one of those things that you got interested in. You just kind of like incorporated your branding into like all the jokes and stuff that you make. You're like, 100%. why can't I do this in golf? <laughs> I know. I wish. I wish like people who. I wish there was more of a crossover of like golf and like. And like house music, music yeah. the people don't like the same things. No, <laughs> so like, like anytime I post anything about golf on my Instagram, like nobody gives a fuck about it. That's hilarious. Which then makes me want to do it more because yeah, it's like yeah. stupid and funny. But uh, yeah, it's a really good way to kill your engagement to all you DJs out there. Post a bunch of golf, <laughs> post stuff. golf stuff, which is kind of funny because yeah. you think about like other industries and like golf is one of those like kind of a, a business thing for other industries, but for music, like no one's into it. <laughs> Yeah, not really. I mean, there are definitely like some producers who play golf. Yeah. But golf and raves are sort of at odds with each other, yeah. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> when you first started the Zookeeper Project, <clears throat> excuse me, in 2013, you started with doing like remixes and stuff. And then you didn't really release your original music until 2015, right? 2015 or, or maybe even 2016. 
Oh okay. yeah, yeah. I guess it would be like late 2015. Yeah. Yeah, I was doing a lot of remixes. I was like doing some like sort of ghost production stuff, helping other people. But I was like really nervous about putting out mm-hmm. my uh, my first stuff. Why was it? Um, I just thought it like sucked. Yeah. And I wasn't DJing before that. Like I, I came to production before DJing. Uh, okay. So I wasn't able to test out my stuff. And I actually think like it was going to Miami Music Week one year and like a handful of tracks that I had produced. I like heard them out at clubs or like mm-hmm. a couple people played them at Ultra. And then that's when I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this stuff's like good enough. And that was sort of like the push I needed to start releasing stuff. That's cool. Um, I wanted to go kind of before you started releasing your own music and you already said that you, you used to be a guitarist for a touring band, right? Yeah. Who was that for? Who did you play for? Uh, it was Cash Cash. They're like DJs oh, now. sick. Yeah. Yeah, but it was like, a, it was like sort of like a pop punk. I didn't know they, band. I didn't even, I don't know their background. I didn't know that they did that before that they became yeah, Cash yeah, I, what like we know as Cash Cash today. We're all from the same area in New Jersey okay. and like our old bands used to play together. And so when they like lost their guitar player, I like joined up with them for a little while and, mm-hmm. uh, and did some touring and stuff. What motivated you to leave them and go start your own thing? Like what was that time like? Um, I just wasn't like, I think it kind of felt like our time was coming to an end on like the, the music, not, not into, I mean, they're like great producers and obviously their, their time didn't come to an end, but Mm -hmm. the iteration of like that project sort of felt like it was, uh, it was all kind of riding on like a one single doing really well because we were signed to a major label. And I think when that didn't do what, uh, the label had hoped it was going to do. It just made it, it kind of killed the morale mm. and that turned into like a lot of fighting and that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, but those guys are great, you know? Yeah. Uh, great producers now. And obviously, yeah, obviously, <laughs> yeah, they went on to like really, really like get to that sort of A level yeah. in terms of like American DJs. So yeah. props to them. What was that transition like? Like, did you make anything on Ableton prior to, or no, Ableton I didn't or really any doll, like, I should say? Uh, I, I learned like a little bit of production from them actually, but uh, no, like I, I had always like played drums in bands mm-hmm. when I was growing up and I didn't really write. So I wrote a very little bit for some of those bands, but it was after I left Cash Cash is when I started like really learning how to like produce. How long music. do you think it took you, if you remember correctly, how long did it take lo- you from? Honestly, a long time. Yeah, it, yeah, it's I figured, like, yeah. It's really hard. I think it's really, really hard. I always say like, I think like getting to DJ is like the reward. Not that DJing is like super easy, but DJing doesn't make me like feel like I'm going to lose my mind. Like sometimes like yeah. producing makes me feel like I'm truly losing my mind. <laughs> yeah. I I just feel like that that would be a huge transition, especially going from like a touring artist with a band to like having to take a major step back and like, work on your own individual product. Yeah, that would take forever. Yeah, it's not really even what I was trying to do. I was, I was trying to just be like a pop producer after oh, okay. that. Um, what, what inspired you to create house music? Like you went from like guitarist so to house ba- music. <laughs> yeah, basically like, um, basically I wanted to be a pop producer and I was like writing and producing pop songs. And that was all sort of when EDM was just starting to sort of boom in America. And my manager at the time worked at Warner Brothers Records as okay. like a pop A and R, and a lot of the uh, a lot of the like pitch tracks that they were getting 
were from DJs. So, you know, I, I would hear, I'd be like hanging out in his office. He'd be like, oh, listen to this. Like, you know, people submitting tracks for like Jason Derulo or something like that. And there'd be like records from Diplo and Afrojack and people like that. And I remember just being like, damn, like, if these don't get used by the label, these guys can just release them themselves. And yep. It's not like a waste. Whereas like, if you're producing, you're pitching songs and nobody uses them, like that's it. And, uh, and then like my best friend is actually like really good friends with Diplo from like years and years ago. So he would take me with him to like, Ve- like some of Diplo's like Vegas shows, right? When he started doing like Mad Decent Mondays. I don't know if you remember. Oh, when yeah. he was doing that, but, yep. And that was like, I just, I hadn't toured in a while. And it just looked like fun what he was doing. I was like, oh, this is like just fun. You don't need to like rely on like other people. You know, it's tough like in bands. It's like you have to have, you have all these separate relationships with everybody and it's really hard to like mm. keep everybody on the same page. And like as a DJ, it was just like, I don't know, it just seemed fun. I was like, oh, this guy just flies around, shows up five minutes before the set. And like, you don't have to tour with a guitar, you just use a USB. <laughs> dude, honestly, honestly, dude. It's like the biggest thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I never want to like set up a drum set ever again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And dude, I feel like it's a completely like different, like, like, yeah, we do sound check and stuff for like EDM, but like, it's a completely different thing for some people do. I guess. Some people do. Yeah. <laughs> some people do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, with like drums and like a full actual band, I feel like that's like kind of a challenging part, especially if you're touring so much, like you get to the venue, like that's a, large chunk of your time that you like the setup portion of it and sound it's a young man's that. game like, yeah i think i'm yeah. doing that now i'm like i can't believe we did that like, <laughs> you have to get to the venue at like noon to play at like 9 30 yeah yeah it was just a lot Those, now now thinking back to that i'm like how is that like sustainable i guess it wasn't i mean really thinking about it, it's like it's really really tough to be a band yeah i have friends who are Especially in bands early on well, i feel like once like bands get to a certain level and they have employees to do that for them like not so much, but early on when you're doing it all yourself, like, yeah, that'd be a rough, very rough. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's so fun. Cause you're just like, you know, you feel like you're a pirate just going, there's <laughs> <laughs> like the traveling bachelor party, just like eight dudes rolling into like every city every night. But, um, it's definitely a lot. Also yeah. like that type of touring, you sort of leave and you're gone for two months. Yeah. Yeah. Where with, with being a, the EDM artist, you can come home during the week and fly Yeah. Out it's and, more of yeah. a weekend thing. Yeah. 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 Um, you, with you being a guitarist, I know one of your first like big songs was your new light remix by John Mayer. Was mm-hmm. that, can you tell me a little bit of that story? Like I know John Mayer is a magician when it comes to guitar. Was there, was there any influence there? Is that why you did it or? Uh, I mean, dude, basically I, I knew from somebody on his management team, like I knew that they were looking for remixes for the song. Okay. Actually what happened was. I'm, I'm friends with one of his managers or someone on his management team. And he asked, he was like, oh, we're going to get remixes for, for John's new single, mm-hmm. which they've never done before. I guess they've never, there've been no like official John Mayer, Mayer remixes ever. He's like, who should I get? And I was like, you know what? Everyone would put themselves on the list. Yeah. But I was like, there's no chance I'm going to get this. And he was like, <laughs> I've done a lot of remixes and even... When you do like remixes for like A-list artists, even if you like knock it out of the park, so often they just end up not coming out. Like you'll get paid for them and then they just don't come out. So I gave him a list of a bunch of producers that I just thought were dope. Most people I didn't even know. And then he asked me if like I wanted to do one also. And uh, I was just like, yeah, like screw it. Whatever, I'll... uh..." I basically just got... I did it to like try to just get the session and poke mm. around in it. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's all I really cared about doing. I was like, I just want to like get the multi-track for this and hang out in my room on my computer and like listen to all these individual parts from like his session. Were you that a, was like what would be cool to me. Were you, and, uh, were you a big John Mayer fan at the time? Like, did you like him as Yeah, I, was, I, got, I became a big fan of his from the Continuum album. Okay, yep. Yep, Gravity um, and all that, yep. Yeah, and, and then ever since then, yeah, big fan. And it was just so cool to go through and uh, it was so cool to just go through and do that. And so I I put together like a really basic arrangement of it. And I remember we sent it in and I asked my manager, I was like, yeah, we didn't hear anything back on that. Right. Like (laughs) after like a couple months, I was like, that's not going to happen. Right. Uh, And he was like, oh no, I think it's actually like, kind of like maybe going to come out. And then from there, like, yeah, I got like one more day to sort of just clean it up. And, uh, and it did end up coming out. It was just like shocking. Like I I never thought in a million years it was going to come out. That's kind of, it's not even really like, the same style as most of the stuff I do. Um, cause I yeah, would, when I first uh, found out who you were and, you know, started digging through your music and listening to your music, I, I'm a big John Mayer fan. I always have him. Most of my life I've been a John nice. Mayer fan. And uh, I saw that you remixed. I was like, Oh, that's interesting from a house music producer. And I was like, Oh, this is yeah, so yeah. much different than like the other stuff that you make, but it's still super good. Great job on the song. <laughs> Thank you, dude. Thank you. Yeah. Like honestly, like his session was awesome and he programmed a bunch of the drums and stuff mm-hmm. and they were like very, sometimes it's hard to make like electronic drums sound like almost live. Right. And it, I was, it, it was, it was, like he's definitely a very good drum program, programmer also, but going through all the raw guitar stuff, like that's why I made the main part of the drop, like yep. the guitar, it was sort of like a background guitar part, but I was like, this should be front and center. <laughs> yeah. Uh, early on too, you had, and I kind of want to dive into this cause you just released a new collab with them. Uh, you had a ton of support and I didn't realize how far back your guys' history went with, uh, the bingo players. Um, Dude, he really put me on. I mean, yeah. he, he's the first person to sign one of my tracks. Like I had done, uh, I had done just a self-released like SoundCloud uh, record called Guns. And I played, I got booked sort of randomly for some festival, uh, Life in Color in Miami. Oh yeah. And I played it and we got like a really awesome clip. Like the crowd was just crazy. And we got this clip of me playing the song at the crowd uh, with, with the giant crowd. And my now manager, who manages bingo players also, uh, hit up my old manager and was just like, dude, you should have sent us this record. Like, Martin loves it. Uh, You know, we would have put it out. And then we were like, all right, well, what if we do like an edit? And then you guys release that. So he, I think he like played, he was like, all right, cool. Like, Martin's going to play it at his show tonight. And then depending on how that goes. And I remember just being home. I was like, I hope it goes well. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh. Yeah. And then, yeah, we just became like, they put me on tour with him for like a few weeks after that. And we just became homies. And then you did a, a mix for them as well on Sirius XM, like way back when, right? Yeah, I did some mix for him. I also, he had me remix uh, his song Out of My Mind. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we've done, we've done a ton together, but we're both That's like awesome. nerd. Like we both like love classic rock and yeah, like yeah. all sorts of like 80s and 90s, like nostalgia stuff. So, so you guys have a lot of a lot in common then too. Yeah, yeah, that helps. We have a really fun time like doing shows together. That's uh, cool. Yeah, it's 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 like always a really good hang. So tell me a little bit about Bathroom Line, which is your new collab with them. Um, it's actually it's <laughs> to be completely honest with you, I'm not just saying this because you're on the show, but like honestly, it's one of my favorite house songs right now. So um, thank you. Bro. Thank what you. kind of went awesome. into writing that song and like how did that kind of work itself out? 
Yeah, so basically, um, it was like my my manager who manages bingos also showed me uh, like a really rough demo that that mm-hmm. Martin had put together with it, and I was I was like, I need to be on this song. Like, <laughs> I the I, the vocal, I was just like, this vocal is so much fun. Like, I just I have to. So they so Martin sent me the parts, and I did one demo of it that I like loved, 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 and. He liked it, but he was like, it's just a little too, I don't know, even know what the word, it was like very, very tech house. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, and I was so bummed. Like, I was like, fuck, this is the best thing I've ever made. <laughs> like, I, you know, and then uh, like a couple weeks later, I took another crack at it. And then that's sort of like the direction uh, that you hear now. But, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we just kind of went back and forth on it a bit. He did like, he produced like all of the vocal, like all the, I don't know if you could really hear it, but like, if you, if you hear the vocal completely on its own, like there's mm-hmm. a lot of really awesome, intricate, just nerdy production on it that he absolutely killed, like playing with the format. I'll go, and I'll go back and, I mean, I'll, I'll listen to it again. So next time yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I listen, I'll and, pay attention uh, to that. And then he did so, like, he had so, just like, just really cool stuff in there that I loved. Like, uh, there are these like big sort of blown out, like synth toms. Mm-hmm. And then the whole sort of chaotic, like second break uh, with like the sort of speeding up LFO stuff, like that's all him. And uh, yeah, and we got to like play it out a couple times before it came out. Was this your first collab with him? No, we did one song uh, during like during the lockdown that was more of like a throwback sort of uh, almost blog housey kind of sounding thing. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was really fun for us to do. Yeah. it was not so much something that we'd like play at our shows. Why do you think that it took, because you've known him so long, you've built such a good relationship over the years and because you've, you know, he's taking on tour and all that. Why do you think it took so long to actually do a song together? Dude, I think cause I never ask anybody, I, I never uh, think anybody like wants to do collabs with okay. me. So like, I, <laughs> I'm like, I never want to ask unless yeah. I have like a specific thing where I'm like, yo, you're amazing at this thing. Like, can you help me with this or something? But I'm getting better at it, but like, yeah, I always, I'm always just like, ah, I'll just, I'll just finish you. it myself. That's funny. Yeah. Um, previously, when you first started the Zookeeper project, um, and obviously times were a lot different. People like different musics and times have definitely progressed since then. But so have you as, as an artist. You went from making a lot of Big Room, which was hot back in 2015, 2016, to more of a tech house, which is hot now. What has that progression kind of been like for you? And what, why did you decide to kind of change your sound over time? Yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't really been a conscious like decision. I sort of just make okay. whatever I'm like feeling. Um, even sort of like getting back to like what we were talking about, like sort of like my social media. It's like I just it's just like isn't something. It's not that I don't take music seriously, but I don't. Uh, I really don't treat this like a business. Maybe mm. I probably maybe I probably should more, but like <laughs> it's just sort of like. The stuff that that I've been releasing recently is mostly the mostly the result of like the first like handful of shows that I did back after COVID, like after like the lockdown kind of stuff mm-hmm. ended. I realized that like the like my sets, like most of the stuff I made the year like in like the year and a half of like lockdown didn't really work that well, like in right. my sets. I didn't yep. even really want to play them. Like and I love some of those songs, but it's like the stuff that I want to hear when I'm sitting like at a desk is just so different than what I want to like hear if I'm like out. So 
starting with the big room stuff, like, yeah, that was really fun. But I feel like I didn't really have, I was still like learning about production so much and I didn't really have a grasp on, especially because I hadn't like DJed that much at that point. Right. I had, a, I feel like I had a grasp like sonically on it, but I didn't really understand like really the way to arrange these songs properly. Uh, it's actually one of the great things about learning sort of like deeper house music production is that you realize that it plays into even like the biggest big room records, like sort of adhere to the same sort of principles. Yeah. And it's like why some of these records work or why most of those records work. Um, so yeah. So, and then I, I had like a period where I sort of got into like this sort of poppy piano house. I, that's one. That's one of my favorite styles of houses. I love piano house. Me too. Big I love fan. it. I love, love it. yeah, absolutely love it. But I the only problem is like you know sometimes I play these shows and I'm like I just want to go hard. It's it's weird that like a lot of the music that I've released like wouldn't really work in like the sets that I'm playing right. these days. Um, but yeah, it was really just like that's sort of like my thing this year is like I just everything I do I'm like I want to be able to like play this at my show right and I guess that kind of leads me into the next question is do you think your project became more marketable once you kind of went that tech house direction because of I because of today's no landscape I have no, no idea, idea. like if you're talking about just like going for Spotify streams it's way better to go with like these poppy sort of records yeah. but I also don't know like I don't know how active those listeners are like there there are a lot of acts some of like the people who like headline festivals don't have a ton of like monthly listeners on Spotify, but I feel like yeah. the people who listen are like real fans and that's more important, I think, than having a bunch of people who like passively listen on like a workout playlist or something. But at least like for, yeah, for where I was, I was like, I don't, I don't know. You want to, you want to grow a true, like. I listen to your music and I search out your music because I like you as an artist rather than just like, oh, it's like in the EDM playlist type of thing. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. But but also, I mean, even that though, I feel like it's like giving me too much credit for thinking too much. Like <laughs> I, I really just like, my whole thing is like, I feel like if I make something, I'm like, if I kind of like this, then chances are like there'll be a few more people at least who do. And I just want to play those records at my shows. That makes sense. Yeah. You said something before the interview is... Nobody really knows what they're doing. So just <laughs> kind of just be creative and see whatever sticks. I feel like that's very much the attitude that you have with your music, which is awesome. Um, other than trying to adapt, like adapt your sound potentially to like what would, what would be hot or whatever with Tech House. Um, what do you think like causes your overthinking of making music? I don't really know. I, 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 I actually think like DJing helps Okay. Sometimes like you'll make like a quick, dirty sort of mix down of, of mm -hmm. like a record you're working on and then it'll go off when you play it. And that kind of thing makes me go like, oh yeah, like this, like I'm all, I'm overthinking it. Yeah. You know, like if it works out, it's pretty, like you're pretty close, you know? But I think a lot of times, like the more time you spend like in the studio, not out at the shows... I worry more about like how people are going to critically listen to this when like they're home. I also thought like for a while, I mean, I still like feel like this, but you know, like when you're, when you're like learning how to make like a, a genre of music that you don't have experience in, like I always think that I'm missing part of it. I'm like, uh, uh, I must be missing one of the key ingredients and I don't even realize like what I'm missing here. And I mean, honestly, that might even be true, but it just doesn't matter. It's right. not really worth thinking about. Yep. Um, yeah, cause at the end of the day, if you are missing a key ingredient or what you think about it that way, like it could be just 
like that's what could potentially set you apart and make your music different and unique to you too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, like I like, I love watching like chef stuff, like chef's table and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Yep. And I feel like with, with chefs, it's always like, I went to Paris, I learned how to make like proper, like French cuisine. And then I left and did my own thing. And I think somewhere in my head, I'm always like, oh yeah, you got to do that. Like you have to go learn how to do everything about the craft first and then do your own thing. But the older I get, I'm like, why? Nah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that can be helpful. Right. And I do still try to do that. I, I don't know. I just, if I went back, I would just, anytime anybody asks me for like advice, like someone who's like a new producer, mm-hmm. I'm like, just learn how to finish your demos really quickly. That's super important. Like, yeah. Even if they're not perfect, like just finish. Like, yeah, I feel like people get caught up, like even like, like shout out to my roommate. He's also a music producer, also the editor of this podcast. But, um, I feel like he does that cause he's earlier on in his career and, uh, he gets caught up on like not fully finishing tongs. Like he has ideas, but then it's just like, eh, maybe not. And it's like, he has like so many open project files that like, and I know this isn't just him. I'm just using him, him an example, but so many open project files that producers sometimes have. And it's like, just learn how to like fully complete. Cause the more that you fully complete, even if they're not good and you don't put them out, at least you're in the practice of like, okay, this is how you wrap something up. This is how, you know, right. this is the full process. Which is the, it is the yeah. hardest thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why do you think people should let like their creativity flow and not get caught up in being perf- quote unquote perfect? One of the benefits of like doing that when you're making music on a computer is you end up like stumbling across like these happy accidents. And uh, that alone is like a good enough reason to just kind of wing it. Sometimes like something, something quantizes wrong and it's like, <laughs> so much better than what you played so um yeah i don't know i, th- I feel that's, like i feel like some people like believe that it, they have to be perfect to be successful and i feel like like that couldn't be further from the truth yeah i don't think that that's i i relate to maybe like having that thought but really when it comes down to it, it's like that's probably just sort of an excuse for not doing stuff not exactly an excuse but it's like like when people talk about like being a perfection oh i'm just such a perfectionist i'm like you're not you're not (laughs) you know it doesn't really exist so you're not uh but even like you listen to oh what was that record i was listening to yesterday that record 400 by chris lake oh yeah yep so sick it's like one of the things i love about him is you could hear this like confidence in his production Mm -hmm. Where he's like, oh, I could take something that almost sounds wrong and I make it work. Yeah. Uh, Chris Lake's amazing. He's unreal. He's unreal. It's, yeah. He's so good. And that record is like a really good example of that where it's like, there are probably people who would hear parts of those, parts of like that, or elements of that record and be like, oh, this is like wrong. Right. But it's like, yeah, but it like bangs. Still works though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's like, that's, that's like the level like I'm like striving for, you know? That makes sense. Yeah. Um, you said another thing you, that you do, like you get caught in like a constant, like loop of overthinking. How do you get yourself, how do you manage to get yourself out of that loop? I, I don't know, dude. It's honestly the biggest, <laughs> pro- the biggest problem my whole life. Uh, <laughs> I really have no idea. Um, unfortunately, like, I feel like I end up just having to abandon projects every once in a while yeah. because of it. Sometimes you just can't get it to work, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, in terms of my own stuff, it's like there are ways I feel like I end up painting myself into a corner production wise mm-hmm. sometimes. 
And it's always, anytime that happens, I can go back and be like, oh, I violated like one of my sort of guidelines for right. making music. Like I, it's always because of that. And it's almost always because the, the initial like eight or 16 bar loop, I didn't get it right. And I started arranging the song before I got it right. And not meaning it's perfect, but it's just like that, especially when it comes to like more sort of club oriented stuff, it's really hard to, it's really hard to fix that if you didn't get that. Right. What do you think right. your percentage is of like finishing songs? Like, because I know you, you've said you've worked on this a lot, but like now, what do you think your percentage of like actual finished songs that you actually complete versus like that you have to throw away? Uh, it's actually like kind of high. Like it's probably higher than it sounds like it would be by the way yeah. I'm talking about it. Yeah, yeah. But when I was doing like more melodic stuff, I finished almost everything. Okay. Uh, with the club records, it's just sort of like, I don't know, maybe it's like, maybe it's like 50-50. I, I, uh, if they don't work, they don't work, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, the toughest thing, the, the sort of weird thing that I've been encountering recently is like, every once in a while, there'll be like a record that plays out really well in my sets, but it just isn't quite hitting right in terms of like something you would actually just like listen to at home. I've always wondered why people like, certain artists play stuff in their sets that like people really like in their sets, but then they never actually end up releasing it. Like Zed's Dead done, has done that a bunch. I guess a lot of people do that. I, I, I used to wonder the same thing. Like, yeah. they, well, it, it would drive me nuts sometimes when there'd be like artists who'd be like, yeah, I'm never releasing that. And you're like, why? But I don't know. I mean, I think that kind of goes for anybody though. Like if I went through your folder of like, yeah. you know, works in progress, I'd yeah. probably find a bunch of stuff that you think sucks. And I'm like, dude, this is like really good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, for whatever reason, sometimes we're just not. That's like actually, a, I feel like a, a tip that I have for myself, I need to constantly remind myself of, but it's like, we have no idea like what is really that good of our yeah, own stuff. That's what stuff. I'm saying, what is perfect, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. sometimes like you have this idea when you start the demo of like what you want it to be like. And if it's not achieving that, it can be really frustrating, but sometimes you like achieved something else. But that's, that's sort of something that like probably stops people from releasing stuff all the time. That's true, yeah. Um, I had a question about, cause you said your percentage of completion for melodic songs, you'd almost complete all of them. Mm -hmm. Why is that what, versus like the other stuff? Uh, I think with those, it's because I was like really combing through acapellas mm -hmm. that my managers or whoever publishing people would like send to me. And I'm really, really, really picky when it comes to the melodic stuff. Okay. So it's a little bit easier to like rely on the melody like I feel like sometimes with those songs, it's not that they're easy to produce, but sometimes like you have to just not screw them up. Yeah. And you can really lean heavily on the melody. Um, you know, like some of the, some of the greatest sort of like classic dance records, sonically, like maybe the mix isn't that good or the kick isn't that great, but it doesn't really matter. So I think with those, yeah, it's like once you have it sort of working, it's, it's, you're like 90% there. Yeah, just adding tiny little touches to it to finish it. Whereas like, either, there was a demo that I finished yesterday that like I was stuck on. It's like this club record. Stuck, so stuck on it. And then I, I just realized, I was like, oh, I just didn't make the drums good enough. And I went back, redid the drums, and then like now I'm like very stoked on it. Sweet. And uh, it's just so weird because usually if it's a melodic record, I go, I, like, I'd be like, oh, if this isn't working, it's because the melody or the chords or something like that aren't right. And yeah, I just feel like with club records, like kind of the opposite. A little different, yeah. Um, with your approach of like 
having more of like a carefree, just let your creat- creativity flow. Do you think it takes less or more time for something like to actually figure out like what is good enough to release? Like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, cause I feel like with, with that approach, like it could lead someone into like, like I'm just going to complete stuff, but like, how do you decipher between like, okay, this is something that I just like needed to complete so that I could get this out or whatever. But this, and then the, uh, something else would be like, oh, this is really good. Let's release this. Like, how do you make that decision in your own head? Well, I definitely, I take like days. Like if I finish a demo, I like mm-hmm. won't listen to it for a few days. Okay. That's at least, you know, cause like it's, I feel like half the battle sometimes is trying to maintain your objectivity mm-hmm. to your own stuff. Even I'm still guilty of like listening to the stuff way too much, but that helps a bit. Obviously, like when it does well live, it really helps. Right. But uh, yeah, the crowd testing. For the most thing. part, though, if I'm finishing something, I'm trying to release it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, well, is there any before we wrap up? Is there anything uh, that you think that is important for new producers or up and coming producers to know about, like your kind of approach for writing or you know overthinking things? Do you have any tips for them? Um. I mean, I, again, this is another thing I just tell myself all the time, but you just have to internalize, like, I make whatever I make. If I'm trying to make a record in so-and-so style, even if you achieve that, it's not necessarily good. You're better off, like, trying to do that a little bit, but really yeah. just, like, letting your own thing happen. Um, I guess that would be it, yeah. Be, you yeah. make what you make, dude. Make what you make, yeah. yeah. <laughs> be confident in yourself enough to just say fuck it and... Yeah. Roll with it, yeah. But also let people trash you and like, you know, <laughs> if your stuff sucks, like you need people who are like good enough to be like, dude, this is not it, you know? Going back to the uh, the Instagram thing, I feel like you kind of jokingly do that too a lot. Like you're like- so, About someone, myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> someone bashed me in the head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes you need it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome, man. So as we wrap up, uh, first of all, thank you so much for being on the pod. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me, dude. It was yeah. Yeah. Couple of last closing things. What what are you most excited for coming up this year? What do you got? I know you got Lollapalooza coming up. That's one yeah, of the Lala, things. Lala, Lollapalooza yeah. is gonna be that's gonna be crazy. That's uh that's that that's is definitely the festival. thing I'm most excited for coming up. About like a month, maybe like two months away. Awesome. So yeah, and then Anything? yeah, just a bunch of shows, got a few more festivals and sweet. Uh a lot of new music coming out. So awesome. Where can the listeners get in touch with you? Uh, probably my Instagram. I think I'm the most active on there. Same. Instagram is my favorite platform. I'll link that in the description for you. Um, and then one last final question I ask at the end of every interview. Um, if there's one piece of advice you could tell yourself when you first started your zookeeper project, what would it be? Finish all your demos. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much again. And, uh, I'll hopefully talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate it, man. One of my favorite parts of that entire episode is that it reminded me to simply not give a shit what other people think of you and your work. The last few months have been something that I've been really working on for myself and I'm getting better and better at every single day, but no one is perfect and it's always good to remind ourselves of that. So thank you so much Zookeeper for coming on the show today and giving us all a good reminder and providing us some tips on how to work through times of overthinking our creative work. Make sure to follow or subscribe to stay up to date on all of our episodes as we release a new episode every single Friday. And if you enjoyed this episode, you know what to do. Throw up a post on social media, tag both Zookeeper and Underground Society. Let them know how much you liked it. The link to both of our social media accounts is in the description.